Good morning. My name is John Smetanka, and the name of our program is With Respect. This morning's guest on With Respect is Greg Marks. Greg was an All-American football player, defensive lineman for the University of Notre Dame. He's also been in professional football, in business, in banking, and lots of other things. We'll be talking to him about sports, his life, and his life since football. We'll be right back. Greg, how are you? I'm doing fine, John. Thank you for having me. Well, Greg, the uh, sort of true confession to the audience, uh, you and I met back in 1977, I think it was, for the first time. And uh, at that time, I was a county prosecutor in Berrien County, and you had uh, just graduated from law school and were applying around looking for different kinds of jobs to work, uh, work in. But uh, before you came to, to, to our office in Berrien County, uh, you'd played football for the University of Notre Dame, which is how actually uh, you were referred to me. Uh, a judge in my county, Pat Cook, um, had um, called me up and said, hey, John, do you have a vacancy up there? And I said, well, actually, you don't, Pat. Well, but I've got this guy I want you to interview. Would you do it? it just, I said, all right, fine. Just we hire people on a regular basis. So in my office walked Greg Marks. Greg, how did you get from wherever you started to that point when you came into our office? To some extent, was um, my um, uh, my dad was uh, Jewish. Um, his father, my grandfather, was Hasidic. Uh, they married in 1948, and mom is a devout Catholic. And, um, but for whatever reason, and it was not about religion, by the way, um, they, uh, they were together about 10 years or so. And, um, so in any event, trying to answer your question here in a little bit longer way, was, um, um, I have to tell you one little story, which is a great, uh, to my, in my opinion, a great story. Um. I really, you know, in the mid-60s, I graduated from high school in 68. My last year uh, playing high school football was in the fall of 1967. And back then, Michigan State football was the powerhouse. Uh, Duffy Doherty was the head coach. And uh, at that time, Mom and I were living together. We were in a 600-square-foot home. Mom was a hostess. We were living on a hostess income. And um, so, I mean, it was, it was um, if you got a hamburger, you, you, uh, everyone enjoyed it very much. So one day, 
guy by the name of George Perlas, who was the head coach, eventually becomes the head coach of Michigan State. Um, but before that, um, he was the coach of St. Ambrose here on the east side. Uh, from there, he was an assistant under Duffy Doherty, who my mother absolutely treasured. He had an Irish wit. He was very lovely, kind of guy, um, could um, just make you warm even if you were cold. He just was it that way, and Mother just ate him up. But in any event, um guy by the name of George Perlis um, was on the east side, east side of Detroit, um, um, you know, again, he was from St. Ambrose, coach of St. Ambrose, who was a powerhouse in the early 60s, and was um, looking at film at Notre Dame High School. And he notices this guy in a white uniform, uh, number 89, royal blue letters, that was playing against Notre Dame High School from Catholic Central High School. And he says, you know, this guy... Yeah, not that bad. So it <laughs> goes on over to the west side, and Catholic Central then was on the corner of Hubble and Outer Drive and uh, comes on in to the high school, uh, looks at me and says, Greg, um, I want to offer you a scholarship on the spot, full scholarship. And Mother was very concerned about me. I was her only one um, outside of my sister, but that she had uh, Beverly, my sister, from a different marriage, and um, it says, um, uh, at that point, mom was very relieved that she knew her son could go on to college, because I don't know if, if uh, mother had the the, uh, the means to send me off to college. But in any event, so George offers me the scholarship, and to this day, every time, and I don't see George Perlis all that much, but every time I see him, I thank him, because what it did, and going back, John, to that time frame, Michigan State, and State does have a great program today, back then they were a powerhouse. Mm -hmm. Every year they were in the top five, you know, the likes of Bubba Smith and George Webster and Gene Washington and Clinton Jones. My goodness, I mean, they were a powerhouse. This is... This is uh 1967? This is um, earlier, I mean, 66, 65, 66, 67. In that era was the uh, the great teams of Michigan Oh, they had the great, that was the famous game. The, oh, 66, the game. 10, 10, 10. Yeah. yeah. And so um, what happened was when State offered me that scholarship, and they were the first, it gave notice to other colleges because who they were, it's Michigan State, that maybe there's a talent over at Catholic Central High School. So within two and a half, three months, I had over 75 scholarships Whoa. through the U.S. That's amazing. Well, State started off, I mean, they were. It was more of an attribute to them in picking mm -hmm. out talent. Mm -hmm. And um, so... Ultimately, and the, here's where I'm getting to the story, John, just bear with me, is I boiled down the schools, the three schools. One was uh, Michigan State, Mother Love, Duffy Doherty. Number two was University of Southern California, USC, John McKay. Um, and three was um, Notre Dame in the era of Persegan. And so it was May 
Uh, it was springtime, May 1968. And mom was totally out of, she never gave an opinion in regards to what I should do, what school she would like me to go. And actually, I was on my way to USC. I wanted out of town. I'm 17 years old. I wouldn't turn 18 until July. <laughs> I'm out of town. I don't like the girls in the West Coast and that sort of thing. <laughs> so, so one day, we're in this little home, and it's hard not to bump into each other. Mom worked at, in the evening as a hostess, so it had to be a Saturday or a Sunday. And we bumped into each other, and I said, Mom, in May, because uh, June 4th, 68, I could make my decision. That's when the official scholarships could be offered. Okay. So May, I bump into Mom. I said, Mom, you haven't said a word to me in regards to where you would like me to go. And Mom says, okay. She always calls me Gregory to today. She's going to be 89 this year. Says, Gregory, okay. I want to tell you a story, but I want you to go on the couch, and I'll tell you the story. I'm from Montreal. Your father... Your grandfather, my father, came on down from Montreal to work at Henry Ford's when he offered $5 a day. So um, he moves on down, eventually moves the family down from Montreal to Highland Park. The assembly plant was on, is on Woodward to today. And um, so I come on down, graduate from high school in Highland Park. Eventually, World War II breaks out, and I'm, I am, my mom, is working in a defense factory plant. And at that point in time, there were um, war bonds being sold to everyone to help support the war, and certainly at defense factory plants. So my mom was buying these war bonds, and she was saying to me, she says, Gregory, I was buying these war bonds, certainly to help support the war. I had four brothers in the war. But if I ever was to have a son and he wanted to go to Notre Dame, I would have the money to send him. <laughs> it's a true story. I have to, it, is, it is true, and that is the reason, amongst other people, that it certainly had an influence, but mom is the one that sacrificed for me, and that's where she wanted me to go. And my goodness, for me to be able to go to Notre Dame on scholarship, um, it was a dream come true. Well, now... I remember years ago you told me also that you in high school you had been injured. Oh yeah. And uh, as as you know, you played lineman then. I was a lineman then. Uh, I had my growth early. Um, I had a, a shoulder injury, um, certainly a number of other injuries, but basically the shoulder injury was one of uh, significance. And uh, but um, Catholic Central was a great school. Is a great school. And my memories there um, are still very strong to my heart. And um, I was very, very um, um, happy to go there. But, uh, but did that, that shoulder injury, that, did that prevent you, did that hurt you when you were uh, playing college ball? Yeah. Well, um, I had a, my first surgery my last year in high school. What happened, John, was that, um, okay, and we're... Uh, it's hard to, to describe it, but it's called osteonecrosis, mm -hmm. which is bone death, meaning that the bone has blood supply to it. Let's go, let's go back in time. People, I'm sure a lot of people don't remember me anyways, except for if you're a Notre Dame fan or 
some other people who I played against. <laughs> <laughs> but there was, let's say, a Bo Jackson. Bo Jackson played at Auburn, was a Heisman Trophy winner, went off to the Oakland Raiders. Now, let's go back to one time he's playing with Oakland, and he's running off the field, and he gets hit on his hip. Instantaneously, that hit, and that's all it is, just one hit, where a certain hit will take away the bone supply. It, it chips the bone, the blood can't get in there, blood is life. Mm -hmm. and For bones as well as, as the rest of your body. Yeah. Uniquely enough, I never thought it myself that bone had blood supply, but it does. Mm -hmm. And so there's a chip, blood dies, and then Bo Jackson, the greatest, great athlete, is his career is over with. That was the last time he played professional mm. football. Goes off with the Kansas City Royals after his hip replacement and tries to come back in baseball. Mm -hmm. And he did. Mm -hmm. Not that long, but he did. So that's basically what happened with my shoulder was that um, it's just this hit. And slowly you lose your uh, mobility to the shoulder. And... Um, but the, um, let's say, the physicals during that era wasn't all that empirical. Okay. And I was able to play college football. That was, and you were able to be, with, with his uh, osteonecrosis, yes. you were able to become academic All-American and All-American, consensus All-American. Notre Dame champion, national champion team? Well, we came close, John. I appreciate that. <laughs> I wish I could tell you how we were. We came very close in 1970. Um, and, um, but before we get to 70, let me, let me look just very, very quickly. I come to, to Notre Dame in 68, the fall of 68. And I told you the reason why I went there, right. the story with mom. Right. And so freshmen then, were ineligible. When I came to Notre Dame, it was an all-male school. It was not co-ed at that point. Number two is that um, there was a no-bowl policy. We had oh, gone yeah. to a bowl right. since 1925, and in 1925, New Rockne, representing Notre Dame, played against Pop Warner and Stanford in the Rose Bowl, which Notre Dame wins. That's the only reason why I bring it up, by the way. But, <laughs> so when I went there, there was a no-bowl tradition. Number two is that it was all male. Um, and three, um, and two today, um, you needed to keep a 2.0 at Notre Dame. And Notre Dame is um, it's a great school. they got great academics there. There is no special treatment. The athletes room with the students. They go to school with the students. So to get that 2.0, and, and you know, it's not a, it's not uh, to say anything good or bad, but there is no physical education majors there. Um, you know, it's it's liberal arts, business, mm -hmm. architecture, engineering, and off you go. We're going to take a break right now. We'll be right back. We're talking to Greg Marks, football player, businessman, banker. All of those things will be right back.
We're back now with Greg Marks. Greg, we left off and we were talking about uh, Notre Dame having high academic standards. And I think what, what um, is unusual is, in, and my daughter went to, to um, St. Mary's across the road, and um, I, I guess I had known about this before, about the no uh, special treatment for athletes. Uh, but I, I didn't un see how it played out until uh, she went there, and I found out that, as you say, the, the, uh, the quarterback, the Brady Quins and whatnot, are treated the same. In, in, there's no academic dorms, um, and, and uh, their classes are, are the same as everybody else um, now. But that doesn't change the fact that football at Notre Dame is more than football at a smaller university or college. It is that for which Notre Dame is uh, known the, the world around. Now, so that's got to affect you as an athlete, young athlete coming in, young student coming in, in, in ways that uh, are fairly unique. How, how was it? What was it like? It was, um, it was intimidating, John, um, for sure, when you go there. Um, but where, where I think Notre Dame, what Notre Dame te uh, taught is, um, is this. And Eric Persegan was my head coach. Was, um, he, was he your coach all four years? All, all, all my years. Was he intimidating? He was, he was um, intimidating is saying it kindly. <laughs> <laughs> the reason I laugh and the reason I toss that is last year, uh, I was actually trying to track you down because I, I had forgotten where you had gone to. So uh, I was at a Notre Dame alumni dinner down in Fort Lauderdale. My brother and I were uh, looking, we were down there for a vacation for a weekend and, and we decided, well, what can we do for tonight? Well, Ray said, oh, I saw something in the paper about the 19... 66 Notre Dame football team Great coming back with Parsegian. And um, so the, that's why we go down to it. So we went down and, and I remember asking around, I said, you know, where, you know, I, I think his name was, oh, I can't remember, what was his name? And so I talked to a number of people and I ran across one of the four linemen that was, that was in that defensive line. I'm just trying to remember what his name was. It wasn't Duranko. Uh, it wasn't well, it could Hardy. Have been Kevin Hardy. It wasn't Hardy. Uh, uh, well, not Ellen Don Page. Committer, Tom Shane. Uh, who was the other one? Committer was in there. Don't know. I can't. Page Hardy, Duranko, and Rhodes. It was Tom. Tom I Rhodes. think it was Tom Rhodes. Well, anyway, yeah. so I happened to be talking to him, and he said, "Well, yeah, yeah you know, that's Greg Marks, but why don't you check with Era?" Yeah. And I said, "Well, where is Era?" Yeah. And he said, well, "He's standing right next to you." <laughs> so I turned my head. And I saw nobody standing next to me. And then I looked down, because he was a short fellow. Yeah. Era Parsegian is a very, I, I hate, I'm not, not inappropriately, right, but he was, right. he was a short fellow. Yeah. And, um, but I heard this from every player that night. Every single one of them said they were terrified yeah. of him. Era was, Era was um, I'm going to um, share a little story. And compare him to another fellow, another fellow. That's awful of me to say that. But his name was Frank Leahy. Oh yeah, famous Notre Dame Frank football Leahy coach. Frank Leahy was was a coach in the '40s. Came on over from Boston College, 
Um, early 40s, 1943, he wins the na uh, national championship in Notre Dame. Then, John only played five or six games. We were in the war. Really? Yeah, oh, that's we right. We were in the war yeah. at that time. Angelo Bertelli was our first Heisman Trophy winner. And frankly, he goes off into the war and certainly serves his country. But then, he's there looking around seeing what kind of athletes might want to go back to college and specifically to Notre Dame. So now I could, the war ends about 45 or so and um, brings players back like Jim Martin who played here with the Detroit Lions, lots of other people. So what happens is 1946, 1948, 1949, with all those kids that he got recruited so to speak, out of the war, they win national championships. And, and I, I know I'm speaking in Michigan land, but <laughs> 1947, we were unto, Notre Dame was undefeated, mm -hmm. but we didn't get the national championship. Really? Yeah. Who did? That was Tom Harmon, Michigan. Oh. <laughs> so, so 50, 51, go, passes on, we're not, not so great teams. Those players, you know, just went on to the NFL. And... Um, his last championship team was in 53. Johnny Lujak was the Heisman Trophy winner at that point. Uh, frankly, he leaves about 54, 55. And um, so some of the players back then, you know, and, and it's such a great tradition. I mean, these guys played under Leahy, one of them, probably anyone that you would talk to under, played under Frank Leahy would have won a national championship. It would have been difficult not to. And, and they, you know, what you, you know, it's just out of curiosity, the statue's out the statue, uh, outside of the stadium now, frankly. So what did you, you know, what was your experience with Frank Lee? And I'm going to lead up the RPC and mm -hmm. that John. So, oh, Greg, he was the master of discipline. We play on Saturday, and we'd be scrimmaging on Sunday. <laughs> and um, so in, in, in this story, if there's one story that comes across amongst all of them, and I can't do a broke. Frankly, he was Irish, and he had an Irish broke to him. But here's a story that I often would hear from Frank Leahy athletes. He would come up to, let's pick on a, pick on a guy who... I know very well, he's like a father to me, his name is John Pinelli. he's out of Birmingham, um, lived in Birmingham, he was very instrumental to me and, and my mom when I was to go to Notre Dame in high school. So in any event, let's pick on John. John actually was a fullback at Notre Dame and here with the Detroit Lions in the okay. early 50s. So let's pick on John, only because I gave him so many compliments. <laughs> so Leahy would come up to John and says, ah, oh, Johnny, my boy. <laughs> Johnny, your mother would be so happy for you today, me, Johnny. Johnny <laughs> be looking at Coach Leahy and looking at him and says, yeah, Johnny, your mother would be so happy because he didn't hit, hit anyone at practice today. That <laughs> 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 would, that was, frankly, so he was, he was the master discipline. No, the analogy to Coach Brzezigan. As much as, frankly, he was the disciplinarian, 
era was the master of organization. His practices were, were organized by the minute. There would be an eight-minute stints, ten-minute stints, and there would be, you know, um, the offensive backfield in one section, the defensive lineman over in one section, the defensive backfield another section, doing all different exercises and drills, etc. And it was to the second. We traveled, it was to the second. Everything was organized, and he would not stand for anyone if it, they were not on time. He was certainly, you know, you were going to be a football coach. There was a discipline to it, but he was the organi organizer par excellence. <laughs> he told uh, one, of the, one of the folks, uh, one of the, uh, the, the players at, um, it was All-American. Um, Bob Kuchenberg, I think, oh, was the fellow who told, went, yeah. went on to play for the Falcons, as I recall. No, or was it Bob? Bob, Bob was. Or is it Bob Miami? played with the Miami, Miami Dolphins. That's it. Miami he was Dolphins. An all pro. He's there all during the Miami years, those great years mm -hmm. in '72. Bob was was all pro. I don't know, forever. He was telling a story about, and it was just a small group conversation. I think it was he. It was telling the story about uh, how. He had miscentered the ball and had hit Coach Parsegian in the groin. And another one of the players told the story that uh, he did something. I don't know. He was Parsegian was trying to demonstrate some kind of a, a maneuver on the line, and he knocked Parsegian down. And he said, "I was petrified. I, I was too. scared to death." I would be too. So he said he, ch Parsegian chased him around the field. He <laughs> <laughs> swore at him. He swore as, a, as, uh, as, a, as like a sailor. Well, um, I want to ask you about this, the, the reason you got into football. Why was football something that you wanted to do? I mean, you, you, you put up with operations. You put up with uh, travel. You put up with uncertainty. What was the deal? Well, it was my way. Um, John, uh, that to I could go to college that way. I mean, there was no one, um, there was no means in my family. Mother did the best she could. Dad did the best he could. But there was no way uh, for me to go on to college outside of that. I literally don't know how I would have been able to finance a college education. Mm -hmm. um, and it was just sort of a natural thing. If I could use that word, you know, I mean, I'm 17 mm -hmm. years old. I mean, how are you thinking about finances? You well, know? but now you thought that college was important. Why? Uh, th well, to be honest, John, I really didn't. <laughs> oh, <laughs> now the yeah, truth comes well, out. Yeah, I mean, I, well, mom never went on to college. Yeah. Dad never graduated from high school. None of that family on either side went on to college. So college to me, now here's the story, John. College to me was a foreign entity, yeah. and I mean that seriously. Yeah. That, um, I mean, I get to Notre Dame, and they ask me, "What do you want to major in?" <laughs> and, I, and so my my sister, who was eight year eight and a half years older than me, went on to University of Detroit and became a teacher. So I said, "Well, um, I'd like to be a teacher." It's the only thing I knew <laughs> that. What you do in college? Yeah. Be a teacher. So, so I want to be a teacher. Well, 
you know, the academic advice as well. Advisor said, well, you, you, uh, there's no teaching majors here. And uh, it's true. And so I said, well, I, I was confounded. I didn't know what to do. Says, it, now, my mother at the time was, was um, you know, going through a divorce, and so she was seeing a psychologist. Yeah. I said, well, can you be a psychologist here? <laughs> <laughs> and I majored it's, in psychology. For no other reason. For no other reason. That's it. This, this reminds me of the, uh, back in the 60s when they were introducing football players at, on the Saturday football game. At one point they used to have the players run up to the, to the camera and say, I'm Joe Smith. Uh, we, did it, we did it then, John. Lineman. And, but the, finally, I think they stopped it after two guys who were, great big guys and had no sophistication, ran up to the microphone and said, Hi, I'm Bubba Jones, nuclear physics. <laughs> All right. Anyway, we're going to take a break again. Uh, we're with Greg Marks, a football player and banker. We'll be uh, right back. back now with Greg Marks. Greg. Yes. You're, you're standing out on the field, whether it's in high school or college. Yes. And the whistle blows and the, the, ki the kickoff and now the defensive team is out on the field and you're standing there and there may be 50 people watching you, there may be uh, 100,000 watching you. But there comes a point at which there is something that that uh, is a feeling. What's the feeling that well, you had? Yeah, John. Um, you know, I I um, went on and played with the Atlanta Falcons. Uh, Norm Van Brocklin was our head coach there, who who was uh, just a great coach. Era's great coach. Era, uh, Era's in the College Football Hall of Fame mm -hmm. as coach. Norm Van Brocklin is in the College Football Hall of Fame as a player, in the Professional Football Hall of Fame as a player. And um, any time I went on a football field under those coaches, if there's such a thing as a cold sweat, and there is, mm -hmm. because I felt it, mm -hmm. you literally, when you come on the field, game time, and Coach Persegan, uh, Coach Van Brocklin, they tried to, as best as they could, to reenact what the game is going to be, the game feeling is going to be about. Dress in, you know, your dress pants, dress jerseys, Falcons, the line of Falcons, as well as Notre Dame, and to help you understand what that game is going to be about when you walk on the field. And literally, how I felt anyways was... I felt that I had no idea how I was going to play football. 
I was exhausted. <laughs> I mean, I was, it was a cold sweat. It was, wow. Was it fear? It was, I don't know what it was, John. All I know was, was uh, um, I was exhausted. I was, I mean, the emotion mm -hmm. that was, was something that just took everything in you, out of you, and to go on that football field. Now, here's the good news. The good news was, once after, and I knew this eventually, but that emotion, what I just described, happened every game. Mm -hmm. Didn't matter. We were playing Army, playing Southern California, or in the professional level, we were playing Minnesota with Fran Tarkenton and Alan Page or whoever. That emotion was always there up to about the second or third play. Mm -hmm. Then got the hits in it was it was ball game now. <laughs> <laughs> all right now if you're you're finished with the hits you, you you now it's playing ball yeah now it's the end of the game or it's even the third quarter and right. and you're at some point there's a timeout and you're standing on the field yeah and um waiting for the tv to come back on right did there ever come time when you just said cats i'm i'm sitting here and i am I am just happy. Yeah. No. 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 Okay. No, but the one time that no, I was I was there. My emotion was um, in football, and though I I um, yeah, I'm you know I'm early twenties at this point in time, um, and to be very honest, John, it was if it was crossed the, that line was that was the person I really didn't care for for that moment. Mm -hmm. And that was who I was focusing upon. Okay. It was either, he was, I mean, he had the same emotion towards <laughs> me, John, I assure you. And now, there was one time, um, born and raised in Detroit, and back then, I got to play in, old, in Tiger Stadium, still here, and the Lions, back then, in the 70s, Played at Tiger Stadium, right? Open air, and the Falcons um, played the Detroit Lions, <clears throat> 1973 in Detroit. And growing up in Detroit, so I got to see the Tigers play there. You know, I got to see as a young child as the Lions go on out there. And um, it was there was one time. Dad could hardly afford a ticket, but he got a ticket, he got a Detroit Lions ticket, and he always wore, and anyone Jewish would, would know, he wore the yarmulke. Yeah. And uh, I can remember Dad told me where he was sitting. It's the only time he ever saw me play football. Really? Yeah. Yeah, in, in pro. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so he, uh, was, he was sitting out there, he had the yarmulke, and he had a black hat, his, uh, where conservative conservative Jewish mm -hmm, would mm -hmm. do. So um, I'm going off and I'm going through the tight, uh, the, the, uh, we dressed, um, well, the Falcons dressed on the visitor side. Okay, so we're going through the dugout on, onto the field. And all the Falcons were going on out. And I stood, I couldn't go out. I wanted to savor that moment. You know, where looking at I knew this would never happen again. 
I looked out and saw my dad and he was waving his hat. And I'll never forget that moment. Never forget that. That was one moment in my yeah. life. Yeah. That if you're getting to a point where, wow, this is all happening to me, that would be the one time it was all happening to me. One of the, uh, I used to play baseball. I, I was um, at a much less grand scale. I was a decent baseball pitcher. And so I had a lot of opportunities from Little League on up into uh, uh, amateur ball. I went to a seminary and, and <laughs> my mother almost killed me. Never forget this. Uh, mothers and live inside of their sons rent-free for the rest of their lives. <laughs> they do. Let me write. My mother took me to the games. My dad took me to the games, took me to practices. One day, I was, I was uh, Little League, or uh, probably uh, 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 American Legion ball. We played against the North Dakota State champion team. And we were Little LaGrange, Illinois. And uh, I pitched... I was the pitcher, and Dwight Eisenhower's brother, Mil uh, Milton, Milton Eisenhower, was there. And there was about maybe 200 people watching this game, because this is a big deal for us, playing the North Dakota State Champions. Before the game started, uh, my coach brought two guys over to see me. Um, and one was a scout for the Yankees, and one was a scout for the White Sox. And um, they said... Um, uh, coach said, uh, this is John Smetanka, and he, you know, plays ball here, and he's a pitcher, and these gentlemen want to talk to you. So they said, son, have you ever thought about pay playing professional ball? And I said, um, yeah. I mean, I'm 17. All right, okay, all right. I'm, oh, that'd be great. I love, I love baseball, which I did. And I said, but, you know, he said, well, uh, would you be interested in playing? And I said, yeah, yeah. Can I do that while I'm in the seminary? Because I'm, I'm <laughs> starting to be a priest. They looked, took one look at me, and they said, "Keep it at, keep at it, son." <laughs> and they turned away. I was sorry. My my mother was sitting in the stand. She didn't know what was going on. After the game was over, she came. She we were getting in the car. She said, "John, who were those three men that were talking? Who was the two men who were talking with Coach Ellie?" And I said, "Well, my mother." kind of scouts from the Yankees and the White Sox. Well, what do they want to know? And I said, they want to know whether they would be interested in playing ball uh, professionally. And she said, well, you said yes. And I said, well, I said, yeah, but if, could I go to the seminary? Uh, and they walked away. Yeah. And she said, oh, my God. And I will say which, the word she used, Jesus, Mary, and Joseph. No. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think I took you through all these practices for. I wanted to be Bob Feller's mother. Oh. <laughs> you could have gone to the seminary later. <laughs> Great Cleveland Indian pitcher, Bob but, Feller. But you know, this was leading up to this. Every time I went out to pitch, every time, I got out there and I lost everything to, to the moment. Mm -hmm. That is the... Uh, whatever problems I had in school or in the house or with friends or family or anything, mm -hmm. they all went away. Yeah. And I, I was, it was me. I was yeah. pitching. And, uh, yeah, you know, I looked at those, some of those guys I played ball against. And when they were batters, I wanted them out yes. so badly. And I won't say hate because that's a hard word. But it's, it's, a, it's a strong it's competition. A it's a focus. And I remember one time... I pitched, I threw, when I was much even younger, I was about 14, I threw the ball, I had a very good fastball, and luckily I threw a curve, 
but it was too close inside, got out of control. The catcher, or the batter, was, was a catcher, and, and he jumped around. Instead of getting out of the way, he jumped straight into the ball. It hit him on the chest. His heart stopped, oh. and I thought I killed him. Oh. They took him to the hospital, and he was fine afterwards. But I never could throw hard inside again. So I had to compensate because I just couldn't want to go through that mm. history or uh, life sure. comes uh, becomes strange because uh, eight ten years later we were on the same team that oh. catcher and I and he was he would come out to me whenever I'd start throwing babying the ball he'd say, "Damn it, John, throw the, throw it as hard as you can. Remember, I was a goof." I didn't get out of the way on time. I didn't even I didn't even know till the day he said that the first time that he remembered or that he knew that the reason I couldn't pitch inside was for fear of hitting and hurting somebody. But at any rate, you got a good heart, John. Well, but 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 the thing is I love that. I love that experience, mm -hmm. uh, you know, of being never goes away. It never goes away. Yeah. Did you have that? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I I understand the focus of it. And like I said, when I, I the only time where there was one moment where I sort of relished um, something besides being focused, focused yeah. was that moment coming in yeah. the Tiger Stadium and dead out there. Yeah. But th those are those memories. Now, today, you're talking about memories, about uh, people and football, and we're going to talk in just a minute about your, about your background afterwards. Sure. But um, do you live with memories of those days, specific no. ones? No. No. I really don't, John. Those are great memories. A lot of people, you know, if they do remember me, they remember certain things about um, my past um, in athletics. Um, you know, we won the city championship um, in, in uh, high school basketball on a play that I made the last second. They'll remember me at Notre Dame in terms of my defensive line career, which really is not a quarterback or receiver type of thing. Mm -hmm. you know, because you, um, but they, they'll remember some of that. Um, the Falcons were, I uh, didn't get to play that long. My career was pretty much over with at that point in time because of my shoulder. Um, and. Um, uh, I'll never forget the day uh, when I decided, and it was very voluntary, I knew my shoulder was over with, um, had I think my fourth shoulder surgery the spring before I showed up in the fall, and, but I sh still showed up to camp with the Falcons, uh, preseason camp. At that point, we were in, the Falcons were in Furman, Georgia, or for, I'm sorry, Furman University, which is in Greenville, South Carolina. And um, um, it's sort of a neat story. Um, so I showed up to camp. I needed to know that I could not play anymore. A doctor was going to tell me. No one's going to tell me. I needed to know the days it was it. So I showed up to camp and go out and do calisthenics and I can't do a push-up because my right shoulder is so bad. I, I literally cannot move my right shoulder very much then, even two today. I knew. I knew. 
So I went back to um, the dorm, and there was a great guy, you know, um, wonderful person. His name was Chuck Walker. He played with um, um, St. Louis Cardinals then, and obviously the Falcons, Lionel Falcons. And I came up to, to Chuck. I said, Chuck, I'm going home. I'm going to enroll in law school tomorrow. Actually, Notre Dame Law School told me that if I don't enroll, I'm going to have to reapply. And mm -hmm. I had a couple of years with the Falcons. And, but more than that, it was, and I wanted to play professional football. I didn't really want to go to law school. Um, but if I couldn't play professional football, and I knew then, I couldn't play. Mm -hmm. And it's key, John. I didn't know. Mm -hmm. And that's really, mm -hmm. I, I can't, you know, make that loud enough. So I went up to Chuck, and Chuck and I were splitting time in defensive line. He'd start sometimes, I'd start sometimes. And I really didn't get the, the sense of success in one way with the Falcons. Um, so anyway, I went up to Chuck and, and I said, Chuck, I'm leaving tomorrow. I had my playbook. And Chuck had about 12, 13 years time. And he says, uh, Greg, showing you the kind of guy Chuck Walker was. He says, uh, Greg, um, if you want me to leave, I will leave. And I said, Chuck, it's not about you. I can't play. I just can't play. Mm -hmm. He says, well, okay then. If, if um, you can't play, let's sing a song. And it was the first time I ever heard this song. And every time to today, John, I hear this song, it's really tough for me to get through it. And it's How Great Thou Art. Chuck, Chuck is a, 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 a very strong Christian. And you know you you know the song mm -hmm. How Great Thou Art. Sure, I do. So Chuck gets a guitar out. He starts singing How Great Thou Art, <laughs> and we we I couldn't sing the song because I never knew the song, <laughs> but I know it today. That next morning, took the playbook, went downstairs. We were in in the dorm. Norm Van Brocklin had his door always open. Gently walked in, laid the playbook down got on a plane out of Greenville and flew it in South Bend and uh, that next Monday I'm at Notre Dame Moscow. We're going to take a break right now. We'll be back in a moment. We're with Greg Marks, football player, Notre Dame, Atlanta Falcons, and then we'll talk now about his future after football. We'll be right back. back now with Greg Marks. Greg, your uh, description of your football life is, is, in, is very engaging, but 
by your own choice, your football career ended when, you, when it was time to go. So many people don't know that, and you were able to walk away on your own power. Right. You went to law school. Yes. And you became a lawyer. Yes. I know, because you came for yeah. uh, the interview with me. I, I should have <laughs> hired you. I, I thought about that afterwards. I, I regretted it. I thought, oh, my Lord, it would have been so much fun. Yeah, it would have But um, you went on to banking, yes. for pity's sakes. Yes. And what other things did yes. you do? Well, um, I, uh, I enrolled at Notre Dame. I, I really, truly loved the school. Um, and the law school is a great school. When I went there, um, but before I move on to the law school, I, I, I'd like to also just mention, John, I played with some great people in, in college, and just for a minute, John. Mm -hmm. In college, Joe Theismann was our quarterback. Mm -hmm. Theismann was a great quarterback. Dave Casper was mm -hmm. our tight end, went on to Oakland Raiders, and, and and David is a very successful. What I'm leading to is that Notre Dame really breathes some. Certainly, life has its difficulties, and but it does breed a, a certain character. Um, Casper has it. Theismann has it. In a lot of different people, Rudy, 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 and Rudy, the the movie Rudy. Mm -hmm. Rudy and I are are very close to a business adventure right now. Um, in a class act. Really, that's interesting. Yeah. So he was he did he play with you in that uh, Rudy, that era? Yeah, Rudy. Um, when you see Rudy in the movie and he's out, he's made the team. He's on. They accepted him as a as a walk on. He mm -hmm. called the prep team. And um, Rudy's out there. His last year. Or, what, or the year that he first makes the prep team is my last year. And actually, believe it or not, John, I'm in the book. There is a book, Rudy. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> oh, yeah. No one's read it, but there is a book. And I am in that book. That's the reason why I bring that up. <laughs> I so if I, I get, have the only two copies. If I go to the index, I would look at that book, yeah, and I'm going to find great marks. Find there is a book, and if you can't find it, I have it. Okay, all right. So... Uh, in the Falcons, uh, people like Tommy Nobis, who was a middle linebacker there, and Tommy was a great middle linebacker. Uh, Texas, wasn't he? Yeah. Yeah. He was uh, the first pick of the first pick ever of the Atlanta Falcons. Okay, so in terms of me, uh, Notre Dame law school. Um, I mean, Notre Dame was, was uh, very much of a challenge to me, particularly the first year. I can remember sitting in contract class, and you know, the first year, as you well know, John, those classes are two semesters, so everything is all mm -hmm. set out for you. And I'm sitting in the contracts course, maybe the first week, and I had no idea in terms of how well, or rather how big, I was. I mean, I was, I was with the Falcons, but three days, you know, <laughs> and everyone sort of large. Yeah. And, or quick, or very, you know, but I hung around most of the bigger guys. And I'm sitting in contract, contracts course, and there was a guy who went to uh, college in, in uh, Michigan, and he was working at a, at a mall, 
and had, had a beautiful sweater on. And I said, his name is Joel Dowell. I still remember the name. And I said, Joel, where did you get that sweater at? And he says, uh, Greg, I got it at the place where I'm working at. I said, Joel, can you give me a sweater like that? I'll pay you for it on your discount, right? He says, Greg, I'll do it for you. But there's no sweaters big enough for you. <laughs> and it was my first consciousness of how big I was. Yeah. And so I started to, yeah, I really became, I wanted to look like them as best as I could, <laughs> whatever them was. But I definitely was not part of them. <laughs> and so I, I started to play basketball, tried to lose weight, and I, unfortunately I was able to lose it slowly. Yeah. Slowly. I'm talking back my first year, it was 280, 290 in first year of law school, and I had a very difficult time with first year of law school. And so first year passes. Did you hate law school? First year, it was. I was wondering I whether I it. really was in the right direction. I hated law school with a passion. Yeah, my my between my first and second year, uh, it was. I can remember sitting in the in the uh, quad area in the campus right next to Notre Dame Law School. And I'm sitting there, it's a beautiful day, and I'm thinking, it's the last day of registration for second year. And I'm thinking, well, what am I going to do? It came down, John, to the last hour of registration. I said, nothing else to do? I went back in. <laughs> that was it. That's the only reason why I went in. Fortunately, fortunately, my second, third year. You know, starting to get the grip of things, going to be a student. I was gone from uh, between college and law school a couple of years, and the students there in law school, pretty good students, um, come from all over the, you know, the place, and, and very competitive. Mm -hmm. But I was starting to get the grip of it, what I needed to do, and second and third year I finished off pretty well. Took the bar in Indiana. Um, and fortunately, passed the first time. Mm -hmm. Man, if I didn't pass it the first time, John, I never would have been able to interview with you, pal. That's for damn sure. Because I was not taking that thing again. Oh, well. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, um, the practice of law was a heck of a lot more fun than law school. My father told me that was going to be the case, and it surely was. I, I really, as I said, despised law school. Mm -hmm but love the practice of law immediately as soon as I got into it. But you went into banking, though. Yeah. And, so, and I, I'm going to tell you, we're, we're going to be running short on okay, time, so good. if you can compress okay. it. So what happened was is that I, uh, I really wanted to be, as I went into law school and actually looking for a way out of law school, I went down to the office of the FBI, uh, the Federal, Federal Bureau of Investigation in South Bend, where Notre Dame's at, and went to the resident agent and I said, look, you know, I'd like to be an agent, man. I mean, <laughs> I don't like all these books. <laughs> I mean, they're all over the place. And, and yet uh, you were academic All-American. I, I was. For three years. Two years. Two years? Two years, yeah. First thing. And he said, look, Greg, you're going to be, you know, if you want to be a, a, an agent, you're going to be in for 20 years or so and get your retirement. I know you know you don't know what I'm talking about, but 
20 years, basically you're going to look, you might be looking for other options. But you're going to need something to fall back on, get your law degree, and, um, and be good. So that's, that is the reason why I finished off law school. Graduate from law school, took the bar exams as I mentioned, graduate, and the budget, is, the federal budget is frozen, and I'm looking for a job. Actually, I have two kids at that time. Aaron, who's, um, by the way, John, Aaron, my oldest, is a Marine Corps pilot. He's a major. He uh, flies the Cobra, which is a, a, an attack helicopter in the Marine Corps, been to Iraq twice, and works out of Camp Pendleton right now. So in any event, Aaron, I had my oldest and my second son, who's a great child as well, teacher. Um, but I needed a job. Um, and so there was a little school, a, a, a little bank. Uh, banking then was regulated, was not deregulated. And little banks still existed back then in 1977. And started to work as a bank and as a, it was baptism by fire, meaning that um, ERISA came in in 1974, the, income, uh, the Employment Retirement Income Security Act came in 74, I started working in 77. So it was, here's the book, Greg, ERISA. Your play, here's your playbook. And here you go, there's your playbook, <laughs> go for it, pal. <laughs> well, um, I, I, wanted, I want you to, if you can, in 30 seconds, because yes. that's about what we have. Sure. I want you to tell me, is there a relationship, psychological, career, personal, whatever, between the success you had in football and the experience you had in football and in sports and your future life? Yeah. Because you said you don't, you don't live in the past, but it, it must have formed you in some way. Yeah. John, if anything, if I could boil it all down, when you get knocked down, get back up. That's a that's a tremendous way of putting it. And uh, when when I did it, when I get when the ball was hit over the fence, you just got to turn around and try again. Uh, such, such is life. Such, C'est la vie. C'est la vie. <laughs> Greg, thank you very much. This has been a great uh, uh, period of time you with you. Should hire me, John. I should have. Should hire me, John. <laughs> all right, all right. I said it again. I should have hired you. Greg, thank you very much. We've been with Greg Marks, uh, academic All-American, consensus All-American, football player, uh, Notre Dame University, banker. We didn't get too much to talk much about that, but we did um, get a measure of the man. And, and the Atlanta Falcons, too, John. And the yeah, Atlanta Falcons. Really, I'm really sorry, I met, met Atlanta Falcons, too. Uh, and your mother is a great, oh, great, great person. Water. And uh, so... This has been Greg Marks. Our program is With Respect. We'll be here on Sunday morning at 11 and Wednesday morning at 10. We'll be right back next week with another guest. Does that mean, whom? John? <laughs> we'll come back <laughs> to you. <laughs> Who, for whom we also have respect.